This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. You don't like the Drake. I hate the Drake. I love the Drake. How could you not like the Drake? Who's the Drake? Who's the Drake? The Drake is good. Do you like the Drake? I love the Drake. What about the Drake? Screw the Drake. I love the Drake. This is Cam Bowen, voice of Tim Drake on Young Justice, and you're listening to Everyone Loves the Drake. Hi, this is James Tynan the Fourth, and I love the Drake. This is George Perez, and everybody likes the Drake, especially the cakes. Hi, this is Mark Wolfman, and everyone loves the Drake. Good for them. Love the Drake. Got to love the Drake. I'm impressed. What can I say? I'm irresistible. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake comic podcast. I'm your host, Rob Myers, and welcome to episode 108. This show is brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin. And this is the this is the year of Robin. That's what we're doing on this show, the 80th anniversary of Robin. If you want to be technical, I guess it's technically Dick Grayson's anniversary, but it's all of the Robins. So in just a couple weeks, we're going to have the big uh, Robin 80th anniversary 100-page giant, which is going to be really cool. Uh, you can find us on the Batman Universe, like I said, through their podcasting network. We're also associated with Batman on Film through their podcasting network, BatmanPodcastNetwork.com. You can get a hold of us on all the social media outlets. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Just search Robin Everyone Loves a Drake or Everyone Loves a Drake, some variation of that, and you will find the show. But more importantly, you can find us on Twitter at ELTD Podcast. Like I said, I'm Rob, and with me on this actually spring day, which I don't know about for you in South Carolina or in the Carolina States, in Ohio, spring lasts for like an hour, and then it's just 90 degrees, blistering heat. So how are you doing today, Terrence? Yeah, pretty good. You caught yourself there because Ryan I did get you that we're North Carolina, not North South Carolina. Carolina. Yeah, we're the bad Carolina, not the good one. All right, See, yeah. it, it's bad. My sister, I go right into the Carolina. She's in South Carolina. You guys are in North, and I it came right out, and I was like, no, that's your sister. <laughs> yeah, and I think from what I've heard is that it, they were just the Carolina or Carolina at one point, and South Carolina didn't want the northern part. The rich people in Charleston didn't want all that, like, hillbillies in the north, so they, like, divided it up to get rid of us. So, yeah, we're... I think you're promoting us when you say South Carolina, but... Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing good. Ryan, apparently his computer caught the clench, uh, so his internet's down, so I, I couldn't make the last one. And I missed... I just... I've been so... St- 
busy that I just haven't had a chance to listen to you and Ryan's last podcast. So here's where I repeat <laughs> everything you guys say or ask questions. And you're like, oh, we already talked about that the last podcast, which I already did before the podcast was recorded when I was asking you about, hey, did you guys talk about that? Yeah, the last one, Terrence. Yeah, the last one. Oh, okay. Sorry. But um, yeah, I'm doing good, but I'm going to jump right into it. I'm doing better than Dan DiDio. Rob, uh, Rob, what did you think of that, him getting fired like that? Yeah, that was one of those things when it happened. I actually thought it was like when they post like the, you know, somebody will post the fake celebrity deaths like, oh, Tom Cruise just died, a, you know, a brush fire. People are like, what? Like, no, I'm still alive. So when I saw the thing about Dan, De- and by the way, Tom Cruise is not dead. Um, <laughs> but when I saw the thing about Dan DeDio, I actually <laughs> checked a couple different sites like, all right, if I see this on you know, no, not throwing shade to CBR. I'm like, if I see it on CBR, maybe I'll believe it. But it was just like all over the Facebook feeds and Twitter. So I was like, okay, I don't think this is a hoax. So I, I feel like as on one way, I feel like it came out of left field. Like, I can't believe that they let him go, but you start going, well, he was there almost what, 16 years something like that mm-hmm. so I, i'm not surprised by it it's not like oh my gosh he was doing so many great things and i'm just gonna say this right off the bat i don't want to see anybody ever lose their job you know somebody that you work with and when they get fired you're like oh man that sucks but when you start to look at their body of work or like wow they were showing up late all day and they were being disrespectful to co-workers you can go i can kind of see it I don't know how he was as a person, so I'm not look talking about him personally, just as the things that have happened in DC Comics over, probably over the last 10 years, you can kind of look at it and go, I, I can kind of see why. I felt like it's just change after change after change, and this... I've been making fun of it, calling it Verizon's 5G DC Comics thing, or, you know, yeah. this Generation Zero thing. So... I'm curious as like, are things going to slightly shift a little bit? Jim Lee has said recently that the generation one, two, three, four, five thing is, is not going to be a line wide reboot. We're not going to age up characters. So I'm curious on how, how this is going to work. And is it going to be like, Oh, we've just got this kind of black label thing off to the side. So we can get to more of that later. But for your main question, now that I've rambled on a little bit is, I don't, again, somebody losing their job, I don't want to say I'm happy for, but I'm glad a change has happened because I think, at least as far as those of us in the Bat fans era with DC and Dio, it hasn't been all wine and roses, so to speak. There's been some things that we've gone, man, I can't believe they're doing that to Dick or doing that to Tim. So that's my long-winded answer. <laughs> what about you? Yeah, I guess I'm more cold-hearted than you because I'm like, if you're not doing your job and you're failing at it, then you need to go. And uh, he, he was well compensated, so it's not like he's, you know, uh, right, going yeah. to be hurting. But um, yeah, I just was not happy with DC Comics, where they are and where they were reportedly going with the whole 5G thing. Um, mm-hmm. 5G, just th- this whole idea of just... From what I was hearing, I didn't like it, and it seemed like the kind of thing that wouldn't stick, and in three years, everything would be back to the way it was, and you'd be like, well, what was all that, and why did I buy all these books and stuff? Mm-hmm. And um, What I find so interesting is that um, 
how he was fired by executives from AT&T. So mm-hmm. that means like AT&T is, is really get their eyes on what's going on at DC Comics. And I really don't think the people at AT&T care about the story quality as much as the profits, you know, and, and bringing in Brian Michael Bendis forever, how much he paid him for Superman to just be like just a terrible selling book and, and not very mm-hmm. good quality um, cannot, cannot be good. And they like – Normally the guys like the Dio and stuff, it's like they, they announce they're retiring or they're stepping mm-hmm. down and they're they're given like a grace period and they're given something and you know, they're like casually shown the door, you know, like gracefully right. allowed to exit. They apparently they called him into a meeting and then just like told him, You pack your stuff, you're gone and you have to leave right now. <laughs> so and right. then they said they were firing him with cause, which in legal terms, like firing with cause means that they're not gonna honor the rest of his contract like you, right. you didn't honor your contract so we're not gonna pay you the rest of your contract so it was like it was pretty shocking which makes me wonder what exactly was going on with 5g and um i i, I guess there's a uh scott snyder camp mm-hmm. that was not right. getting along with the uh tom king camp and the M- brian michael bendis camp and so i i mean i what I wish DC would do is just slash their line, just come out with five books a week, you know, 20 <laughs> a month that are all somewhat connected. I mean, it doesn't have to be part one, two, three, and four, but just makes you feel like you're reading stories in the same shared universe. Mm-hmm. And then I think a, a more people would just buy every DC book if it was like that than coming out with 52 a, a month or some ridiculous amount that the average middle-aged man, because that's who read these, you know, right. cannot – buy and read and work a job and have a family, you know, uh, <laughs> each week. And it's just ridiculous the amount of garbage quality books that come out every month that they charge three ninety nine for. So um, hopefully the the line gets streamlined and the quality improves. But, man, it's going to yeah. be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's one of those, too, that you look at AT&T, you know, to speak the lingo, they're looking at the IP, the intellectual property, and go, great, we just bought DC, Warner Brothers, and all that stuff. And now there's talk of we've got a Wonder Woman movie coming out. We've got Aquaman 2. We've got the Batman in production. And you mean to tell me that on our comic side – if somebody goes to the theater and goes to see a movie and then says, hey, I want to read some Batman comics. Wait, who is this Luke Fox guy? And why is John Kent Superman? And you can have Cassie Sandsmark as Wonder Woman. Like, it's just, it's not lining up. And I think there's been more and more missteps. I think everybody can say, but once Rebirth hit, there was enough for people that were like, hey, I like the new 52. That's what brought me in. But this stuff is cool. And people that left because of the new 52 came back and were like, hey, this kind of feels like some old continuity again, pre new 52. And it's got some new 52 in there that wasn't so bad. And then that lasts about two and a half, almost three years. And we're just chucking that to the side again. So I would love to have been a fly on the wall. But like you said, you can just look at some of these books and go, why? You know, we've well, got but all- Rebirth was like the biggest bait and switch ever. And I'm not the first person to say this, but oh, no, no. it's like, oh, we're going to bring the- Jeff Johns. We're going to bring the characters back to their core, which is like hopeful, inspiring, colorful, you know, characters mm-hmm. that face obstacles, but overcome them. And 
within a year and a half, they became morose, depressed, dark mm. characters who are you know, overwhelmed and succumbed to their emotional demons and can never overcome them. So Batman became this whiny, depressed, you know, Tom King monstrosity. The Flash books, Wally West became this mass murdering cover up, uh, you know, like, oh, God, I just don't even get me started on Wally West. It's so <laughs> sad what they did to him. You know, like the Green Lantern book. I don't know if you've read the, the Green Lantern core that came out from Rebirth was a really good book. Yeah, you know, I, it, I stopped reading right when that book got canceled and yeah. went to where it went. Yeah, and now it's like this like weird sci-fi. I don't know with uh, Grant Morrison. I just stopped reading that. I, I didn't really like it. It was just it would have been a cool book if it wasn't Green Lantern. But it just you know, and they did that with every character, you know, and like making these characters evil in the uh, infected by um, the Batman who laughs and all this. Yeah. Stuff. It's just like. Uh, it's just too much. So I think that was a part of it. AT and T, AT and T doesn't give a crud about the comic books. You know, they right. care about, like you said, the IP. They care about. They make more money selling T-shirts and um, licensing out that image to go on every mug and cup and pop hero and everything imaginable. And apparently, they said a big part of it was, um, or this is all rumors, but the. Um, Oh, what was that Batman book that came out where it showed him naked? Oh, um, uh, Batman the, the Damned. Yeah. Damned, yeah. Apparently, AT&T was furious that the deal let that out and damaged, you know, or potentially damaged the, you know, IP of Batman <laughs> with that. So, you know, but I, I don't know. I I mean, to me, the the perfect – I know everything can't be the same, but the perfect tone for the comics – and is the Batman the animated series? You know, mm. like that's like the sweet spot of like appealing to the adults, appealing to the kids, taking it serious but not too serious. You know, the heroes face challenges but they overcome them. They don't become you know suicidal, depressed maniacs who you know are <laughs> not no better than the the bad guys. You know, so I don't know. I just that's the sweet spot. And I'm glad that's coming back to comics. That's the one. Oh, good yeah. Thing. <laughs> yeah. So that was pretty yeah. exciting news. Yeah. And I, I would hope that after this, you know, what six issue miniseries or whatever it is that it becomes an ongoing or they see maybe great sales from this and go, you know what? Maybe not necessarily Batman, the animated series, but this idea, this energy, that's what we need back in the comics. And I really feel like you said the whole bait and switch of rebirth that's kind of where we were. We had these heroes growing in different ways. And, you know, it, it's the next six months are probably really going to be interesting. Like, especially once we get through Comic Cons and stuff like that, and we're getting closer to this 5G thing to kind of see what the shape is going to take. And maybe it's just a one off black label story now that, hey, we've put all this time and energy into it, but we're not going to change stuff. But, um, I do think there's going to be some change narratively going through all these books, whether, you know, AT&T is like, all right, somebody at the top, Jim Lee, Jeff Johns, whoever it is, we need to correct some of this stuff. You find a in-story way to do it, but let's get a, the characters back to where some of the executives at AT&T are like, hey, that's Superman, that's Batman, great, that, that's all I care about. You sell comics, great, but let's not poison the well, so... Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And 
I feel like there'll be a transition period where there'll be a lot of garbage coming out right? before you know, someone takes over and has some focus, yeah. Right. Or there's going to be that interim between you know uh, the next event thing that's going to not reset but kind of fix some stuff where you're like, well, these books in quality because they're pulling all of the talent in and going, all right, we need to fix some stuff, but we can't have you continue to write the books currently, so let's let's fix this up and bring in some people like, hey, new artist, <laughs> you know, new new writers temporarily while we fix what's <laughs> what what we broke. Yeah, and you know, I think the streaming service has something to do with that too, because mm-hmm. having a streaming service is like the the new big thing, and I think DC Comics having their own streaming service interferes with what Warner Brothers and Time Warner wants to do with the HBO streaming service, and I. I, I I'm wondering how long until that's still around or they merge it with something else or, you know, yeah. yeah. Or it just becomes part of HBO Go or something. HBO Go, I like that. <laughs> Isn't that what it's called? Um, I think it's HBO. Well, unless they changed it. Last I heard it was HBO Max. HBO Max? Okay. Sorry, I get the wrong thing. Yeah. I wasn't even trying to be funny. I was just <laughs> incorrect. Like, yeah. Wow, Rob, you're being a jerk. Oh. I was being totally serious. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's DirecTV Go. Is one of them called Go? There's something know. that's a Go, and I can't remember what it is um, now that you say that, but it, I'm sure somebody will let us know. But uh, let's go back to a time when, <laughs> you know, it's really funny. Like, I didn't almost purposely say anything on the last episode because, well, not the last episode, but the last Contagion episode, because I felt it was too on the nose. And reading through some of this was just our world health crisis going on and the little soundbite I'd put in I found from Chuck Dixon saying how does Batman fight a disease we were just watching a 2020 documentary on the coronavirus and as they're going through stuff I was like I literally just read some of this exact same dialogue in a Batman comic that was published over 20 years ago this is really kind of (laughs) eerie and weird so for anybody that knows me, uh, Rob cannot plan something like we're going to do this contagion storyline, but we're going to wait till 2020 to do it because there's going to be this event. There's no planning. There's no nothing. I think it was uh, maybe you or Ryan was like, it's really kind of odd that we're doing this contagion story while this is in the news. And I feel really weird putting up the contagion logo and I think one of the first like hashtags I had done for it was like, there is no cure. And I'm like, I cannot <laughs> in good conscience send this out into the ether <laughs> when, yeah. when it's a, when it's about Batman. So yeah, it's, it's, it, it's odd. Did you, before we get into it, or do, you, or do you have any like just weird thoughts reading this now back in the nineties when this came out, I was like, it was kind of hard to wrap your head around. Like, how is Batman going to do this? And I was in and out of comics a little bit at this point. So there were some issues I had never read at all and some that I had. So I was always kind of disjointed with it, but I don't know. I just wanted your two thoughts before we get into the, the books here. Oh, two thoughts. I got way more than two thoughts here. Oh, okay, no. then. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah I'll take you back to a time and place when people weren't hysterical about germs and viruses, <laughs> when when the shelves weren't bare of hand sanitizer and, and <laughs> face masks. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's eerie that we're doing it now when it's such a big part of the news. Um, when this came out, I, I remember thinking it was a really cool idea and a mm-hmm. really cool storyline. There was a bit of event fatigue, and there was a bit of like, are these guys just trying to hit on the next Nightfall? Because Nightfall, 
and Death of Superman, those things, those were huge money makers. But but not just the month that they came out; like they continued to be big money makers. They the yeah. trade paperbacks and the the t shirts and all these kinds of stuff. So there was always a little sense of trying to hit the next nightfall. But I thought it was a cool idea. I thought like, oh, this is something new. This isn't just the villain of the week or the super villain who takes over the city. It's it's no one's ever really done this before. So when we were interviewing uh, Chuck Dixon and he like like kind of um, belittled this storyline and this concept, <laughs> I was like, I was taken aback. I was like, because he said he said something like, um, I probably got this totally wrong, but in my memory, he didn't mention Contagion. He said something like, "Oh, storyline where Batman fights a virus. Like, how's right. he going to do that or something?" And here, this is where you can insert that audio and see that I was totally wrong. But <laughs> the uh, so I, I remember I was like taken aback. Like, I thought that was cool. I like that. Like, that was something different. And it he's got to use his detective skills and like um, try to find a cure. Like. That was a lot on the old Star Trek show where they'd have some virus and Dr. Mm-hmm. McCoy would have to find a, a cure with it being the end of the episode. So Friday, I came home from work and it was a rare afternoon where I didn't have to go to my second job. And I was dead tired, so I'm just like plopped on the couch like a big blob. And I turn on the <laughs> TV to the movie channels and uh, on Showtime, uh, it was halfway through it. And I hadn't seen this movie in about 20 years, but this is the movie 12 Monkeys. Do you remember oh, that movie? Yeah, I've <laughs> yeah. got that movie, actually, yeah. A great movie. I absolutely loved it. But it's all about a virus that wipes out 5 billion people on the planet Earth. So not only <laughs> got the virus going on in the news, and I know we're going to talk about Contagion and reading this Contagion stuff. Now I'm watching this movie about it, and I'm like, oh my gosh. And the premise of the movie you know, is Bruce Willis has been sent back in time, and they're trying to piece together from like little recordings and snippets and visual clues where the virus originated. So I'm wondering now if like the uh, coronavirus mutates and wipes out like everyone on the planet. Will people be listening to this podcast being like, these two guys were talking about a virus. <laughs> this is some connection. The clench. We got to, you know, and it all just is a red herring or something. Yeah. That's right. So this po- The answer yeah. is in this Batman comic book from 1986. Yeah. Yeah. And they're going to find out, oh, these are just two knuckleheads. Apparently, that's what people did. We're just talking yeah. about comics. No wonder they all got wiped out. I'm I'm kidding. I'm not making any jokes about that. Definitely, when this came out, I was reading all the comics monthly. I still have them right here. And I was into this, and I really liked the um, design of the cover with these Kelly Jones skulls all around it and the big oh, yeah. like bat kind of monster over the contagion. And I liked the triangles with the, the numbers because that was uh, Superman was doing those triangle numbers at the time. Right. So So I was into this when this came out. I really liked it. Cool. Well, we're going to take a quick little break here. We're going to play a couple promos. When we come back, we will look at the next three issues of Batman Contagion. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. But you don't understand. There was the high school episode and the future episode where they had a daughter. Of course, Millhouse is in game. Yes, and Lisa is so fulfilled in all of those. In fact, there's that Christmas episode where she's so fulfilled by him that Who is she calling? Nelson. You know why? Because they are endgame. It's almost stupid to even discuss it. This show has been going on for like so long that there's so many different future scenarios. It's like it's been 30 years. Yeah, that's true. That reminds me of Stella on her podcast, Backgirl to Oracle. She's had a pretty healthy run. How long do you think it will last? (laughs) Forever. Ooh, let's give Stella a call. 
hello? Hey, Stella. Why are you guys using Skype? Don't you want to feed time? No. Hmm. Don and I were just talking about BTO and how long it's lasted. Remember when we were kids, you didn't think it would go very far? What? What are you talking about? Stella, how long are you going to do this show? Meh. Ten episodes a year. But that will come first. Ha! You won't make it that long. You're a girl. Yeah, and girls have cooties. Gee, you guys really were supportive back then. We made up for it. By doing what? Mansplaining? And castplaining. Ugh. Well, anyway, 2020 is going to be a milestone. We've got the 10th anniversary in December, and of course the 200th episode after that. What are you planning on doing? Call-in show for listeners will be scheduled in December, and the 200th is going to feature some very special guest reviewers. Hopefully. Ooh, I'll be sure to free my calendar. Not you. You're, no. Fly on with Backroll the Oracle in 2020. A historic moment tonight. The Berlin Wall can no longer contain the East German people. It is 1989. After 28 years of dividing a city and symbolizing the divide of the Cold War, the Berlin Wall opens up. And from there, everything changes. Fallen Walls, Open Curtains is a podcast miniseries from Pop Culture Affidavit and hosted by me, Tom Paneris. From November 2019 until December 2021, I am going to take a look at the events that took place 30 years ago, beginning with the fall of the Berlin Wall and ending with the dissolution of the Soviet Union and the end of the Cold War. Along the way, I will be flashing back to the landmark and not-so-landmark pieces of popular culture that reflected and defined the Cold War. The first episode will drop on November 9th, 2019, and future episodes will be released quarterly at popcultureaffidavit.com and twotruefreaks.com.
All right, we're back for the synopsis for the three issues we're going to cover, and I'm also going to include Azrael just for story and continuity's sake, even though we are not going to cover that on this issue. Maybe there'll be an Azrael podcast sometime that will cover this. Hint, hint, wink, wink, Ryan's show is coming. So the cover credits for Azrael 15 read as follows. The cover date is late March 1996, with an on-sale date of January 30th, 1996, with a cover price of $1.95. The writer is Dennis J. O'Neill. Penciler is Barry Kitston. The inker is James D. Pasco. Letterist is Ken Brusniak. The colorist is Demetrius Bazuskos, if I'm saying that correctly. Probably not. The cover credits go to Barry Kitston and James D. Pasco. And the editor I think I left out is Archie Goodwin. And now the synopsis for Azriel 15, Requiem for an Immortal. Azrael reads Kendall Stewart's diary and who the other survivors to the virus are, a Chinese man named Fong and a girl named Lenore. Azrael and Selena are on the hunt from a car that they stole while they were in Canada. Azrael asked Oracle for some information on the character Fong. Oracle provided the location of the man, but before they could set out, Tracker attacked them. They decided to make a truce until they captured Fong. Fong was staying on a yacht near San Francisco. Fong believed that he was some kind of Superman because he had survived the plague and declared his cronies to try and hurt him to prove it. They wouldn't do it, but Fong ended up cutting himself to prove that he was in fact immortal. The unlikely alliance of Azriel, Catwoman, and Tracker were on their way to find Fong. While flying, Azriel contacted Lily to discuss their feelings. When they arrived at Fong's yacht, Azriel took down all the henchmen and Tracker broke down the door to Fong's chamber. Catwoman offered Fong a million dollars of payment for samples of his blood, and Tracker threatened to hurt him badly if he didn't cooperate, but Fong refused, saying that the money was nothing compared to his eternal life, and to prove that he was immortal, he stabbed himself in the heart with a knife, killing himself immediately, proving to himself and his dying breath that he was not a superman, leaving the trio without money and Gotham City with less hope. The cover credits for Batman 529 read as follows. The cover date is April 1996. The on-sale date is February 6, 1996, again with a cover price of $1.95, with the editor being Dennis J. O'Neill. The writer is Doug Minch. The penciler is Kelly Jones. The inker is John R. Beatty. Letter is Todd Clean. The colorist is Gregory A. Wright. And the cover credits go to Kelly Jones and John R. Beatty. And now the synopsis for Tears of Blood. Robin manages to get Stewart's blood sample to Batman so he can develop a vaccine from the antibodies. To be sure of its effectiveness, Batman tells Bullock to ask Mr. Gunt if the vaccine can be made from the blood of a survivor of the plague. To Batman's dismay, the mutation speed of the virus prevents the blood of any survivor to create a cure. Azrael takes Batman a second sample of the blood from a second survivor without knowing it that this is futile. Nightwing joins Batman and Robin in the Batcave. Batman sends the two of them to stop the riots that are happening at Babylon Towers. While he goes to find the only person known immune to any agent, including the virus, Poison Ivy. Batman can't enter Babylon Towers without being infected, so he requires Poison Ivy to deliver a potential immunity so he can develop some type of blood samples from the people inside of Babylon. He convinces Jeremiah Arkham to let her out of Arkham Asylum just this once. Batman guides Ivy through the sewer system below Babylon Towers. Ivy takes the immunity into Babylon Towers, but instead of giving the serum to the Babylonians, she starts an auction sale for the vial to the highest bidders. Elsewhere in Gotham City, Harvick Bullock gathers Bach Montoya on James Gordon's house to ask him to lead them. 
Meanwhile, outside Babylon, Nightwing and Robin do what they can to try and stop the maddening crowd. One of the riders spits in Robin's face just as they have their backs against the wall. Huntress arrives to help them, but the three of them hold themselves a bit longer, but soon later they have their backs up against the wall, and suddenly the crowd disperses, running away in fear. The reason is they saw a menacing shadow of the figure of the Batman. With their only hope inside of Babylon and in Gordon's actions, the Bat family waits and does anything they can for as long as they can. Cover credits for Shadow of the Bat read as follows. Cover date is April 1996, with the release date of February 6, 1996. Again, $1.95, and also Dennis J. O'Neill as the editor. The writer for Shadow of the Bat is Alan Grant with penciler Vincent Girano. And again, I'm butchering that name. <laughs> Inker Ray A. McCarthy. The letterist is Bill Oakley. And the colorist is Pamela Rambo. And the cover artist on Shadow of the Bat 49 it goes to Brian Stelfreeze. And now the synopsis, Angel of Death. Poison Ivy is taking all of the goods and money from the wealthy people of Babylon Towers in exchange for a splash of the vaccine Batman gave her to test to see if it works as an immunity. Most of the people inside were already dead, and those that were given a taste of the serum believed that they were cured. Meanwhile, outside of Babylon, loots and rioting begin to get closer to the towers. Batman, Nightwing, Robin, and Huntress try to stop some of the vandals and hold their ground a bit longer, but Batman is worried about Ivy, and Robin starts to feel a little weak. James Gordon led some of the GCPD to Babylon Towers to help calm the people outside. But when Batman decided to go inside of Babylon looking for some answers on the vaccine, Gordon followed him without Batman's knowledge. Inside, the people realize that the serum is not working and they wanted to lynch Poison Ivy. She then convinced the Babylonians that she was immune to any type of virus and that she could pass the immunity by kissing them. Bad idea. She had kissed some of the people when Batman arrived to stop her from poisoning many more. She tries to escape, but Gordon knocks her unconscious. Outside Babylon, the riots intensify as Robin, Huntress, and Nightwing hold their ground, and then suddenly Robin faints and recovers almost instantly, only discovered blood was leaking from underneath his mask. Robin was now infected, most likely because of the spat he received by one of the rioters. Disgusting. Nightwing takes Robin from the danger zone, leaving Huntress alone and wasn't able to hold on much longer. The people of Gotham went berserk and they were already set to burn and destroy Babylon Towers while the infected were still inside, dying helplessly. And the final comic credits for Detective Comics 696, as with the others, come to us by way of Mike's Amazing World from mikesamazingworld.com. And the synopsis will be a combination of DC Wiki of Fandoms page and some embellishments from me throughout the synopsis. The cover credits for Detective 696 read as follows. The cover date is April 1996 with an on-sale date of February 13th, 1996. Again, $1.95, and the editor is Scott Preston. The writer is Chuck Dixon, penciler is Graham Nolan, the inker is Scott Hanna, the letter is John Costanza, and the colorist is Gloria Vasquez. The cover credits go to Graham Nolan and Scott Hanna. Now, the final synopsis for today's podcast, Babylon Falls. Nightwing delivers Robin to the Batcave, and Alfred takes care of the boy wonder who has been infected by the virus, now known as the Clench. 
Alfred tells Nightwing to go and help Batman because Robin was now in good care. At Babylon Towers, Huntress watches as people burn the building to the ground. Inside the building, Batman and James Gordon seek their way out of the burning building, and Batman covers Poison Ivy's unconscious body in a plastic breathable bag and carries her up the stairs. Gordon shoots a man in the face who has threatened he and Batman's life. And when they reach the stairs, and from where they are, there are no more stairs to climb to try and reach the roof. They then decide to break a window and try their luck in a leap of faith. Batman manages to bring both Ivy and Gordon to the ground unscathed. Once on the ground, James Gordon goes to see what happened with the GCPD members he brought to Babylon. When he catches up to where the team was, he only sees Harvey Bullock and Rene Montoya. The others left to stay with their families. The three of them watch as Babylon Towers burn. Mayor Kroll is notified the National Guard to seal off Gotham City until the plague is contained. Kroll is unable to leave City Hall for his protection, with he and Andrew Howe, who has been appointed to police commissioner, are chatting when blood starts streaking from Mayor Kroll's eyes, meaning he too has now been infected. At this moment, Oracle receives a phone call from Catwoman asking for further information on the third and last survivor of the plague, a woman named Lenore Wee. Batman and Nightwing reach the Batmobile and are driving home when they encounter the National Guard. They manage to escape using the Batmobile's nitrous feed. Batman calls Alfred to know how Tim is, when Batman realizes that the plague is out of control and reaches almost everyone in Gotham. Meanwhile, Alfred sits sadly by Tim's dying side. All right, we are back. So if you are keeping track at home, we left off at Azrael. Due to this Azrael podcast that's going to come out, I'm contractually obligated to not talk about it. No, I'm not really. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's There wasn't a whole lot of Tim Drake in it. It just follows uh, Catwoman and Azrael. But for synopsis standpoint, I put it in the audio here. So I just... So somebody that's like, oh, I don't have the trade or I don't have the Azrael issue, you can at least understand where that's going. So we won't be talking about Azrael 15, but you did get to just hear Azrael 15. And then if you listen to the Azrael podcast, eventually Ryan will cover that. But for us today, we're going to be looking at Batman 529, Shadow of the Bat 49, and Detective Comics 696. I think I got all those right. If not, I will re-edit and say them again. So, like Terrence was saying earlier, the Kelly Jones cover here, or covers that he was doing, but he has the front and center one here for Batman Contagion. This is technically part six, but for our coverage, this is will be part two. But part six of Contagion, and what a cool cover uh, this is. And it's all the weird abnormal proportions, but Kelly Jones manages to do it in such a way. This character with the scythe, when I had first gotten this issue, this was one of the issues that I did have that I did read kind of out of context. I was looking for this character to show up. And of course it does not show up in the book at all, but this is a really cool cover. What do you think about this uh, cover here by Kelly Jones? It's a really cool cover, but obviously for me, it's not that memorable because right. when you sent me a picture that you got the uh, trade paperback, this is the cover. I mean, the coloring might be a little different, but it's the cover. Yeah. And I, I sent a, a message, I think, to you and Ryan saying like, oh, that's cool. Is that a, like, I don't remember that cover. Is that new for the trade? And then I think Ryan sent me the picture or you sent me the picture of 529 saying, no, it was the cover of 529. I was like, oh, I have no memory of that. So um, I remember it now, but it was it's pretty Pretty awesome. I mean, 
the horror is definitely Kelly Jones's sweet spot. You know, that's yeah. like what he's all about. And covers are great because they the distortion and the the weirdness is excused because it's not actually an event within the book. It's just a cover. Well, since we were talking about Kelly Jones and you mentioned Nightfall, you know, he did, I think, almost all of the Nightfall covers, mm-hmm. the primary covers. And it wasn't until after Nightfall that Kelly Jones got put on as a primary Batman artist. What did you think of him? Like doing covers is one thing for some people, but doing the interiors is a whole nother beast. What did you think of his artwork? Does it lend to the Batman book or is it, is it something, something else that maybe he's not quite suited for Batman? So I always liked his Batman, especially because at this point, Batman you know, had four or five titles a month, Robin, Catwoman, Asriel. So it was just like one of several books. So it wasn't like the entire line or this was the only thing. And I don't really recall that there was this emphasis in the mid-90s, at least in my neck of the woods, that Batman was like the flagship book of the DC universe. Like yeah. it, it, as it became like under like Scott Snyder and then Tom King, I, I feel like a lot of that came out after new 52 and, and Scott Snyder and um, Capullo just became such superstars. So it wasn't really that, that jarring to me that like, Oh my gosh, how could he be on Batman? Although it probably might've been a little better fit on like a shadow of the bat or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I always liked it. And this issue, I liked it. I always liked his first like page. Always had like the feel of like a like a B horror movie kind of thing. But yeah. there, there. As much as I like it, there are times where I look at it. And I'm like, oh, this is just awful. Like in this issue, and I don't know if I'm jumping ahead for you here. There's there's some really cool stuff. There's one scene on page 13 where he he's got Tim Drake and he's holding the R and the shadows and stuff. I think, wow, that's really cool. But then there's other especially um, how he draws Poison Ivy, there's just some panels that I'm just like, that just looks awful. Like, that is just, like, that is not the female anatomy in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> that, and the, the face of Poison Ivy is the ugliest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, it's just, yeah. it's really bad. Yeah. She is not going to seduce me any time to give her money. Like, come kiss me. Uh, yeah. No? <laughs> yeah. Have and you I seen a mirror? I don't want to. I don't want to take this into like you know PG thirteen rating and stuff. And who am I to judge about body types? But the way Kelly Jones draws Poison Ivy's breast, she needs way more support from those leaves. <laughs> like they are the floppiest things ever. Like I, I don't know, you know. So I don't know. But he seems like a nice guy because I I see him on Facebook all the time and he's he's posting stuff and so oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. But um, what did you think of Kelly Jones's art? I I liked him more as a cover guy. I think being like so excited with Nightfall and everything and knowing like, oh my gosh, I love these covers. And the first couple issues, which I can't remember what episode it was, uh, where it was right after Nightfall, the technical wrap-up where Bruce is finally back as Batman. He's got those like Azrael, like fin blades on his legs and almost the all black suit or whatever. I remember really liking that issue, but I think as the issues went, I started longing for a more traditional looking Batman. I thought the covers are good, but I just, I never really kind of landed on liking him as the primary bat artist. Some, some books, excuse me, were better than others, but 
like I said, like in the fem the females that he draws, I feel are always not quite up to par of what he does. And if he's trying to make them too much into this, you know, like almost horror type style that they actually kind of look more horrible than <laughs> um, yeah. seeing a, you had mentioned Robin and Nightwing pops in here uh, midway through, which is kind of cool. A note that I had here, which is kind of mid midway through the book is the bat family is so small at this point with only having Robin, Batman, Nightwing, Oracle, Huntress, and Azrael and Catwoman kind of was this a better era of books only having a small bat family so to speak or did you like the current large bat family where there's like 22 members or or something like that yeah i mean i feel like i feel like this era was really good except it's missing a bat girl and and she's not in it but it was really cool having oracle so i like i liked oracle as a member of the team that they could communicate with her and I do feel like there's a Batgirl missing. Right now, I feel like there's just way too many with the signal and the uh, – there's just, just so many that, like, they're in a book and then you don't see them for a year and a half. And then they're in some other book. Like, Lucius Fox's son, was it uh, – what's his name? Uh, um, uh, not Duke. Um my gosh. I almost called, I almost called Luke. Luke Cage. Luke. Was it yeah, Luke, Luke Fox. Fox. Yeah, I was yeah. thinking Luke Cage, but I'm like, that's not right. But yeah, <laughs> Luke Fox. Like he was in Detective and he had a bat suit and everything and he was Batwing and then he just disappears and then you hear like, oh, he'll be the new Batman in 5G. And you're like, where's that coming from? You know, like so. So there's definitely too many today. And to answer your question, I guess this is good, but we need a Batgirl. What do you think? I, I do too. I mean, Cassandra Kane's not that far removed. We're just getting a tip of the iceberg, but it's still going to be a couple years before she even gets her own book. It's not going to be to like, what is that? 98, 99 that I think she finally gets the Batgirl yeah, title. Yeah, I think it's 99. Yeah. Yeah. So we're in just the, you know, the early parts of 96, 96, 97 by this point. So we're still a few years removed before they can even, I mean, we've still got to go through legacy and cataclysm and aftershock and basically get through all of no man's land and not to mention any, any other little things that are sprinkled out through a DC universe. So yeah, Batgirl is really kind of missed. Something that I did like in the early part of this is, and that's something they're talking about in the Matt Reeves movie, is seeing a Batman do detective work. And you were mentioning that in the beginning of the show, seeing Batman look through this gigantic, like, <laughs> telescope, yeah. uh, you know, wh- whatever it is, looking at, you know, cells or whatever. And I like the coloring with the pink that's going through, kind of seeing the, the pink haze that's in Gotham City, and we get to see... Uh, Bullock there for a brief moment talking about Montoya, who in the last issue, her boyfriend just died. So you have all this stuff kind of building up, uh, going through Gotham City, where the Babylon Towers basically in lockdown. They're not letting anybody in, letting anybody out. But the workers that were in there working are now coming out to the streets. So that's helping spread the disease. But uh, Nightwing and Robin were working together has always been one of the high points in this. And I think this is a a really cool thing that uh, Batman has uh, Nightwing and Robin together uh, to go off and do something. I think that's something that's kind of missing in DC right now with, you know, Rick and the Drake kind of being separated, even just a 
uh, Robin and Nightwing in general working together. I like the brother aspect. Uh, how do you feel about Nightwing and Robin working in this story and then maybe just even in comics? Is that something that we're kind of missing right now? Yeah, we're missing it, and I don't know if we'll ever get it back. Um, it reminds me of Prodigal. One of the reasons mm-hmm. why I love Prodigal so much, you know, even though Nightwing was, you know, technically Batman at the time, it was still Dick Grayson, and they still had that shared experience of being Robins and working for Bruce and everything. So I absolutely love it. I just feel like it's gone because I feel like if a writer wanted to tell that story currently at DC, it would be Dick and uh, Damien not Tim. So, you know, but it is, it is cool to see it here. Now you were talking about, I've got it, this in the trade, so they don't have the pages numbered, but uh, the page, I think you said it was 13 where Robin has, is holding the R shuriken in his hand and you've got uh, yeah. Nightwing and Robin gliding off um, just in that one little panel. Those sections of panels are done really, really well. It's shaded very well. And I like the, just more of the abstract, but you get down to the bottom and see Poison Ivy. It's almost like it's almost like it's not the same artist uh, in the book uh, yeah. right there. I, I like it, too. Dick Grayson refers to them as the Boy Wonders. Yeah. It's a piece of cake for the Boy Wonders. And then it's on the next page where, I don't know, like Poison Ivy's doing aerobics or something. <laughs> she's <laughs> yeah. like stretching. I don't know what she's doing. And then she's like hanging from a pipe. And you, you see what I'm talking about? Oh, like yeah. The floppiness there. Like, what is going on there? Like, <laughs> did he use his great grandmother as a model for that? Like, was it? Because, yeah. you know, like some artists will use, you know, like real people and they'll stand there. They'll. Alex Ross does that a lot. Like, he yeah. brings in real people. He takes photographs of them. Then he paints it. This is like, hey, grandma, what are you doing? <laughs> Come here. <laughs> take your bra off and let me. Like, how would you like to be poison ivy? Was I draw you? Like, this is terrible. Um, but then on the next page, that's where Robin gets sneezed on, right yeah. there. So, yeah. Well, I want to go back to poison ivy real quick. Do you think you know the phrase "desperate times call for desperate measures"? Do you think that Batman knew all along that that this was going to backfire on him? That he's going to send probably the only person, which it makes sense story wise, that poison ivy is basically almost immune to every type of disease or whatever because she's got more plant-based stuff. So this seems like the most logical person to send in, but given the type of villain that she is, he had to have known this is not going to work out. Like, here, take this medicine or this cure-ish sample in and see if it works. Come back and report to me. Like, even reading this, I was going, there's there's no way that, the, that this is going to, to work out. Did you... Was that just a foregone conclusion as you were reading this too? Yeah, I wasn't sure. You know, we do know that this is part six of an 11 or 12 part series. So you always know that stuff in the middle is not going to work out quite like you expect. Right. Um, I did think like she tries to sell it to the highest bidder, right? At one point right. here on page 20. So I guess Batman's whole thing was just does it work or not? So whether – right. It doesn't matter who gets it or whether she sold it or whatever, just as long as someone tests it out. But, yeah, it did seem a little weird to me. Yeah. Well, like you said, in that next panel, Tim gets affected by basically somebody sneezing on him. Um, Do you think that this was the right call for it to be Robin that's affected? Would it it have still worked if it was Nightwing? And it's actually pretty disgusting that the way – uh, Jones drew it. He, the panel layout is is done very well too, and just the look of 
Tim on his face having this giant snot bubble running down the front yeah. of his face. Just all kinds of disgusting, which I think really lends well to Jones. But do you think it was a move to have Tim be the one that's infected, or would it have worked if it had any Bat fan? Uh, it wouldn't have worked if it was the Huntress. I don't think we would have cared as much. I definitely... I think it would have somewhat worked if it was Dick, but I think it works more for Tim because he seems to be the youngest and most vulnerable, and we've, we're not that far removed from Jason Todd dying. So there's right. got that whole, like, oh, you've put another Robin in, in jeopardy. It does... Um, I don't know if you've read ahead to 10 and 11 parts. Yeah. There's a kind of a, a cool little cliffhanger there with, with <laughs> that one. But, um, yeah, I think Tim was probably the most logical one to, to get infected. And, and like, uh, I don't know how to say this. Like, he's, he's not a heavy hitter enough that you don't think, like, oh, they'll never be able to win now, you know. Right. But it does have that common concern. So if he's taken out, it just kind of raises the stakes a little bit for Batman. But um, yeah, it puts it more on a personal level. Like you said, it's not like nowadays that I feel like DC wants just to kill off every Robin. Oh, we're going to bring him back where that's almost the knee jerk reaction back then. You know, we only had one Robin ever die. And now that it's Tim, I think this probably did make a lot of readers go, Oh no, not Tim. Like they're, are more stakes and what's this going to do to Batman's state of mind? Is he going to be able to stay as focused as he needs to be on a crisis that he can't punch his way out of? Yeah. And like you mentioned, not having the same effect with it being Huntress, Huntress does show up as, and this was something else that, you know, I hope we don't see in the news of like the pandemic setting in, like there's this, rampant disease going around. So all the citizens of Gotham city are kind of losing their mind at this point. So you'll have like martial law being thrown out. So Nightwing and Robin are out trying to keep the city at bay at best. They can or are quickly getting overrun and the Huntress shows up. So this is one of those beats that they kind of play with the Huntress a little bit, the Huntress is just not good enough for Batman. It's one of those that they kind of got to keep telling the reader, like, oh, don't tell Batman that, you know, I'm working here. He's not really going to like it. You know, th this is one of those things, like, it's only going to get worse before it gets better, you know, shadowing to no man's land. But I feel like this is just the one note that the Huntress has with Batman and the readers. Like, well, she shouldn't be here. Sometimes I feel like that's an unfair characterization of the Huntress, just because Batman doesn't like her methods, that as a reader, sometimes you go, oh, it's a Huntress, I probably shouldn't like this character. Do you like the Huntress as a character? Yeah, I never understood this when I was reading comics in the 90s, because I always liked Huntress, I thought she was cool, and I never understood why Batman was such a quote-unquote dickhead to her like <laughs> he's just a-hole batman here like get away we don't need you we don't like you like i never and i always thought oh i either missed a story somewhere where she like murdered people or did something horrible or they're gonna tell that story and they ne either i missed it or they never did because i never really saw a logical reason like it's okay for nightwing to be there dressed up and beat up people and it's okay for Dick and it's okay for Catwoman, but nope, Huntress, you go too far. Like we, you know, <laughs> we, we only beat people to death with our, or almost like nearly to death with our fists. We don't use crossbows. That's right. You know, what, what the heck is wrong with this woman? You know, yeah, so I don't, I don't never know if it's got it. Yeah. I don't know if it's supposed to be more of a, 
like her weapon looks more gunnish and Batman doesn't want to use guns or, you know, yeah. her backstory gets flushed out later that she goes around killing the people that murdered her family. So, you know, maybe part of that was there, but I don't even know if that was part of her character origin in the beginning. I don't think we get a lot of that till no man's land. So like you said, it's more like it's just said. So you'd also had mentioned like poison Ivy getting into the Babylon towers and, selling off the antidote like is this going to work so she's causing a whole scene in there while the trio now of nightwing huntress and robin are getting almost completely run over and this is another one of the strengths of kelly jones is having this big dynamic batman come into the last few pages and again i apologize for the page i don't know if you have that where batman comes in it's right after uh, poison ivy selling the cure and then nightwing Robin and Huntress are trying to ward off the crowds, but just this bottom panel of Batman's cape just billowing out is just so, so cool. It's got yeah. the moon moonlit right behind him. And I thought this was really cool um, and a funny line, which made me go, oh, I wonder if Dixon wrote this, and he, he doesn't. But it says, major intimidation, not a single knuckle busted. This is from Robin. Yeah. I sure hope that I can do that when I grow up. And then Dick has a line is, I'm grown up and it doesn't work for me. And Hunter says, it doesn't work for anyone except him. I thought that was really cool. They that wrote sounds that in- just like Chuck Dixon. That sounds. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then Batman is such, again, an a-hole right here. Your methods never work, Huntress. Not on any real level. Like, <laughs> never. She's never had any success ever. No. Yeah. None, none at all. So this kind of ends with Team taken off and trying to get the uh, city back under control. And the very bottom panel on this page is dead man dressed up as Batman with the cowl on, which this ties into the story that's going to happen after it's still technically part of the contagion storyline, at least as far as this trade is concerned, but uh, we won't be covering that. So some people might be wondering, Hey, why is a dead man? Hope I didn't say Deadpool dead man. Uh, is in the bottom part of that, if you're wondering who that was. Now, you probably don't have it. You don't have the letter columns in the trade paper. No, I don't. So if you happen to have the letter column, and there's some that were coming out to you before we close this issue, if you wanted to rattle one or two off, I say go for it. if you ever get the chance to pick up this floppy, pick it up or look at... I don't know if on the the digital copies, they don't have the letters either. No. So there's a, a page of letters... Bat Signal, they're talking about Batman 523 and 524, a Scarecrow issue. They're talking about Kelly Jones' art and all that kind of stuff, right? Nothing that major, right? But then the second page is a full page, two column, just like op-ed piece, I guess, written by Doug Munch. Munch, I can never say his name right. And it's all about, it's called The Invisible Enemy. And it's all, it's just like this, like the crazy ramblings of an insane man. I can't believe <laughs> they put this in the in the book. And he's just going on and on about like viruses. And like he insinuates that AIDS may have been created by our government and intentionally spread. Holy um, crap. Like I'll, I'll read it. it says, we've learned in, re- this is the third paragraph. We've learned in recent decades to our horror that our own government has conducted biowarfare experiments by spraying germs over cities and into subway systems just to see how many of us would sicken and or die, arguably employing American citizens as lab rats in simultaneous warm-ups for some potential Parentheses, maybe even plan potential apocalypse. <laughs> so, Holy right? crap. Some researchers 
parentheses, and not exclusively of conspiratorial mindsets, parentheses, believe AIDS is a man-made disease, an experimental weapon developed for unknown but obviously nefarious purposes. It is still hotly debated among theorists of this scenario whether the AIDS virus was deliberately launched or accidentally released. I don't think that's hotly debated among anybody. <laughs> like, you know... <laughs> And AIDS looks like a sniffle, the sniffles compared to the Ebola uh, phylovirus made infamous in Richard Preston's The Hot Zone and featured in our ongoing Batman Contagion storyline. So God help us, because no one else could, should Ebola ever be employed as a biowarfare agent. And then he, he just like goes on and on and rambles about like different diseases and talks about like a history of the bubonic plague and the Black Death and like UFOs and possible UFO sightings and how they may have been spreading alien plagues upon like here were these mysterious aerial crafts somehow dispensing the plagues in aerosol form thinning the human herd while modifying the behavior and beliefs of the survivors right <laughs> like like Holy linking cow. plagues to UFOs and stuff yeah it's like a, we should have Ryan read this in like one of his silly voices. It could be like, you know, but it's kind of, it's, it's pretty crazy, you know, like. And this is the story that they're writing. So I yeah. gotta believe this is probably one of the summits that Dixon was talking to us about that this idea came up. And I, yeah. just hearing that sounds like this has to be the brainchild of Doug Munch. Uh, yeah. Wow. And he's some like huge conspiracy theorist who thinks AIDS was a man made disease. It's, you know, and UFOs are spreading plagues throughout time. So it's like, I, I was just reading. I'm like, wow, this is just like insane that it's published in like a, you know, and this is in Batman. It's not like some independent, you know, comic somewhere or something. So yeah, maybe it's just, a, yeah. I was just say, just keep in mind that this is, this story came out in uh, April of 96. So, wow. Crazy times. Like, here's a sentence here. I, the connection between plagues, messiahs, and aerial phenomenon is seemingly inexplicably but undeniable. I think it could be a little deniable. <laughs> like I don't think it's <laughs> undeniable. Like there's so wow, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, crazy. Well, let's just get into. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave Doug Munch there in the in the dust and that. Unless you have anything else for uh, Batman 529. Uh, we'll go into Shadow of the Bat 49, Angel of Death. So uh, this one, I, I like this cover quite a bit, and I'm trying to look at my notes here to see uh, who is on the cover for this one. And the cover artist is Brian Stelfreeze. This is this is one of the guys I think you like quite a bit, his, his art. Yeah, he was doing... You know, it's kind of funny, because he was doing... Uh Shadow of the Bat covers, I think, since the issue one, right? Wasn't the the last yeah. Arkham stuff? Maybe, maybe a little later. And the artist Vince Gennario, Gennario. Yeah, I think he um, was Vincent at one point, and then changed to Vince or something. But he was doing um, some some of the fill-ins, the Nightfall, the the Crusade, or the Quest, or one of yeah. those, the yep. Nightfall Now or Go or whatever. What did I call it before? <laughs> HBO Now, <laughs> yeah. yeah, HBO Go. Yeah, yeah, Nightfall the Go. Um, so it's kind of cool to see, you know, Alan Grant, who was there since issue one, and Ray McCarthy, your buddy, inking it. So, you, you know. I like this cover. I like seeing Batman and Commissioner Gordon kind of back to back to one another with, he says, Angel of Death off to Batman's side. And just the the red flames that you can kind of see billowing out from behind. So I, I like this cover uh, quite a bit. And I think Commissioner Gordon's in a cool pose. What do you think of this cover? 
Yeah, I think the covers get better and better with each three that we do. I definitely yeah. think Detective 696 is the best. The coloring on this and 696 are very similar, the flames and stuff. So yeah. they go really they go really well together. Yeah, it's a pretty cool cover and it's like metaphorically like they have each other's back. So mm-hmm. that's kind of kind of true of their friendship. So yeah, it's pretty awesome. And I just love seeing the Batman with the oval, the 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 oval yeah. on the chest, you know. They need to bring that back. Oh, yeah, definitely. Maybe Matt Reeves will give it to us in the final <laughs> Batman yeah. film. The skeleton, scythe-wielding creature, whatever it was, on the last issue that I was wanting to, like, oh, I want to see where this appears. Technically, it appears in the opening splash page of this, and it's being narrated by a guy named Rivers, and this is kind of his point of view of what's going on, at least for his part of the story where it looks like he's making a tape recording, which you kind of start piecing together over the course of the issue. It's almost like his last will and testament where he knows he's, you find out over the course by the end of it that he's got the disease. He's not sure if he's poisoned by poison ivy or if the disease has got him because he actually gets sprayed at one point by the the test cure, if you will. This splash page here is kind of unique. Like if you were reading DC Comics, you would be shocked by this because they didn't have stuff like this. They were very like conservative, keep it in the panels, mm-hmm. keep it, you know. And this is, I think, definitely a product of the Marvel and the image books doing so well, where now DC's kind of letting their artists, you know, let it rip a little bit, expand it, you know, like you can you can go outside the panel, you can do something wild and crazy like this. You never would have seen this in a DC book just a couple years earlier. So yeah, even like think of something big like Death of Superman. They that was very much like here's a panel, 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 panel. You know, so this yeah. is pretty cool you can to do, see. Yeah, you could do bigger panels or smaller panels, but like you said, the scythe is going completely off the page, up into the white. Even the handles kind of out there, and you have the inset panels of the three going down on the right hand side. But it's on top of the Babylon towers, and the flames are kind of zipping in and around of the panels. So I thought this was really cool, and the and the, the backdrop that is uh, written here. So yeah, this was, uh, and even just seeing, even just the blood pouring out of the eyes and the mouth and the ears again would have been something that you probably would have seen, but would would have been done more like in shadows where you wouldn't have seen any detail, and you would have had to go, oh, it looks like there's liquid or something drop dropping from their face imagination could go with that but they're showing that here especially in the one with the person with the long brown hair and you can see the red eyes and then the eyes are dripping down from that so i thought that was a wild touch so if the last issue wasn't a sexy enough poison ivy does this one kind of redeem what you go oh Poison Ivy's, you know, starts looking a little bit better. She must have got her support bra <laughs> on. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah, she definitely looks more human and somewhat attractive in this one. Yeah. So by this point, the she's starting to spray people with the potential antidote, but is doing it more at a, like you said, like to the highest bidder, if you give me enough stuff. So she's clearly making a payday out of this. And it took me, I think, about one whole read. And then as I was doing the show notes for this, I was trying to figure out who this character was that she sprays. And it's Rivers that as he's doing the tape recording, I thought, oh, this is somebody else 
that's doing this, but he is the guy in the beginning that's narrating it. We'll get into more of that later. So we start getting into the bat team taking on the the fighting, the infighting that's going down on the streets. So this is where the story is going to start to take a little bit of a turn, a worse turn for our main character. So you've got Batman, Nightwing, Huntress, and Robin fighting. The people of Gotham City are trying to keep them at bay. And this is the first indication that something might not be right with Tim as he's getting off the bulldozer, which is kind of cool seeing the bat team on this bulldozer, but it looks like he's falling backwards off of it. And Batman where he says, you know, are you all right? It's like, oh, well, you know, Batman's looking out for his well-being, and then Batman follows that up with, we still have a lot of work to do, and I want everybody giving everything to access Babylon Tower. So it's more like, I don't care if you're hurt, but let, let's just keep going. I, you slipped there, you know, get your get your footing right. Is Batman too much on the mission at this moment to not realize that something maybe potentially has happened to Tim? So... It's kind of weird. It's like they don't want to um, just say right away, hey, Robin's sick. You got green snot from that guy in the other <laughs> panel all over you. So they got to kind of like kind of hint at it and build it up. And, mm-hmm. and they don't take too long. You know, it's he, he gets sick fairly fast, all things considered. So um, I do kind of like that it's not just, you know, he sneezed on me, go, go to quarantine. But he's right. still trying to like give it his all till the very end there. The story starts taking a worse turn for the citizens inside of Poison or in, inside of Poison Ivy. That's wrong. Uh, inside of Babylon Towers with Poison Ivy, they start realizing that the vaccine, the potential vaccine that Ivy is spraying everyone with, might not actually be working. So she ends up spilling out, which just jumps a little bit. But she ends up saying that maybe she is the cure. Could Poison Ivy? be the cure for this thing that she has all these immunities to disease and everything like that, because she's more plant-based. But I guess my bigger question is I can't help but think of like our current social events that are going on. If there was this one person that had this vaccine, you know, one person could create, you know, widespread panic. So uh, somebody like poison Ivy in the story is doing that very thing. So, was that a turn for Poison Ivy that you – I was kind of more taken aback by that. Like, wow, she took it one step farther knowing that as she's going around kissing people, like, well, there's no cure. That's the instant kith- kiss of death. So she's going straight up to, all right, I'm going to help Batman do this thing. Now she's going to straight up murder. So did that kind of turn your head a little bit? Like, wow, holy crap. This just took a, a whole darker turn into this issue. Yeah. I mean, she is kind of really all over the place, which is kind of – the M.O. for Poison Ivy, like at one point in um, comics, you might pick up a comic and she wants to wipe out all the human population and give the world back to the, the plants. And then in the other comic, she's only mad at one pharmaceutical company that's, you know, you know, using rainforest land in, to, you know, make the plan or something. So she's pretty inconsistent just in general. Yeah, it does kind of make me think like, I don't know if you saw it, but on Facebook and eBay, they've like stopped sales of uh, hand sanitizer and yeah. uh, surgical masks because people have been um, price gouging, and you can't even get those. You can't even get hand sanitizer and Clorox wipes. They're they're gone in every store. So yeah, I could definitely see somebody trying to like <laughs> sell a fake cure to the highest bidder, and I'm I'm sure there's probably people right now like 
posting things on the internet about, you know, hey, this will prevent you from getting it or buy this pill and it'll boost your immune system and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that, that was just one of those things that I was, I was reading that just made me think about what's going on. Like, wow, this this is eerily sometimes a little too close to home sometimes. Like, I the art in this story, like, I like it, but it, sometimes it I don't like it. Like... Remember that issue of uh, Captain America? I think it was Captain America number one, done by Rob Liefeld, where like his chest <laughs> is like way out. You know what I'm talking about? Like he's like in the fourth yeah. dimension. You know what I'm saying? Like there's a little bit of that going on, or a lot of bit going on with Poison Ivy here, where like her whole chest and frame and stomach are just way out of whack, and her neck is just way too long, and a lot of times her hair is covering her neck, where you're like, there's no way her neck could like reach there. And then a couple of things, I, you know, yours isn't numbered, but on mine it's page 14, like Nightwing is way too buff. Like Nightwing looks yeah. like Arnold Schwarzenegger in a couple of these scenes, you know, it's just like, Tim is drawn pretty good. You know, overall, the art, again... Is uh, it's, it's a little hit and miss, you know. Yeah, in the panels you were talking about with Poison Ivy, where she's in like the botanical garden type thing, and she pulls the picture frame off the wall and slaps it over some guy's head, and she ends up kissing the guy that's narrating the whole story. the The bottom panels with her, like you said, her chest is really huge, but she has a very, very tiny waist. Her hands are really big. She's got a big head, big hair, the tiny neck. So if you turn that page where Batman is coming into frame, he kind of seems like his head doesn't look like it's on the right spot, like where the the bat symbol is supposed to be. It looks like it's up too high, like he's half bent in half a little bit. So... As, yeah, I know. As much he's got as, that Captain America thing going on, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But then there are other little moments where Gordon sees Batman go down into the storm drain. You get that shot of the up close of Gordon's face where you can see it in the his glasses, Batman going into the drain. I thought, well, that was kind of cool. But then you have shots of, like, Harvey Bullock just two panels over where it looks his eyebrow. He All he has is eyebrows, no eyes. So <laughs> yeah. it it, it it is a little wonky, but uh, this is the moment, if you turn a couple more pages, where you have Nightwing, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and the Miss Universe, <laughs> yeah. and then little Tim Drake standing there, where they're clearly on top of a roof, and then Tim has the moment where he faints and then falls to the ground, which I thought, man, that probably should have broke his back, but uh, Nightwing and... Well, looking at the artwork, it kind of looks like it severed his <laughs> looks torso. Like it. Yeah, it <laughs> yeah. looks like it did, yeah. Looks like also, bent. nitpick number, you know, here I go nitpicking. How how long is Nightwing's ponytail? Because in, <laughs> in, in this issue, his ponytail has got to be at least three or four feet long. Like, yeah. it's ridiculous, yeah. And it, the panel where they have swung down and picked up Tim... At one point, I thought Huntress was holding on to Nightwing's ponytail. I'm like, is she yeah. literally swinging from his ponytail? And I'm like, oh, no, Nightwing is like his curls are almost getting wrapped up in in, in the bat rope, which I thought was like, and, all right, come on, guys. It's either the windiest night ever in Gotham City or his ponytail defies gravity because it's always up in the air. It's always like swinging, yeah. you notice that? Except for like at the very end when Tim's like sitting on the ground and there it's like sort of hanging down, but it goes all the way to his ankles. Yeah, like, it's clear down to his ankles. That was the next ridiculous. thing I was yeah. getting ready to say. Yeah. 
So in that same panel that Terrence was just talking about, two panels down, where Huntress hands uh, Robin the mirror, you can see the blood pooling underneath the mask, which lets us know, the reader, that this is one of the early signs that you have the clutch or the, the contagion has finally uh, hit you hit you as well. Um, the one panel that I, that I was wanting to ask you about is to turn the page and see Batman leaping at, <laughs> leaping at poison Ivy. And I know that she's supposed to be wearing this fur rug, but it looks like he's trying to wrestle a bear and her back looks like she has two butts. She, yeah, like right above her shoulders. Like, what is she possibly doing? I know it's probably supposed to be her shoulder, but the way the other shoulder is, I thought, is is she upside down? Is she right side up? This is some crazy set of panels here, and I think for the most part, for the back part of this book, the art I really feel like starts getting phoned in more and more as this issue goes. Like Batman's. Not so bad, but I think Poison Ivy progressively gets worse, and Gordon's not that much better, and Huntress is just, when she's standing on top of the truck, she looks just really, really bad as far as her hair and her mask go. So, the story narratively isn't so bad, but uh, I uh, I didn't care much for the art. I do have one more thing. So, what do you think about the art for the uh, tail end of this book? Yeah, at first I thought she was like trying to slide down the banister or something. I was like, what is that? And not only is the art pretty terrible at this ending, but the uh, dialogue's pretty bad too. And Batman gets really wordy. Like, this is all on one page. It's two panels. That's it. One page, poor fools, deluded by whatever lies Ivy's told you, and your own un... What is it? And your own unreasoning terror of death, you have nothing to fear from me, whereas you, Ivy, most certainly have. Like, that's just a little wordy for Batman on two yeah. panels. And then the next page, you're despicable using dying men to do your dirty work. I should have known all along I couldn't trust you. The vaccine, did it work? And then, like, Ivy's like, that would be telling, darling. I love it when you get angry, darling. Like, mm. first of all, do you need to use darling in back-to-back panels? And then, I don't know, it just yeah. seems like, when did Ivy have this thing going on with Batman and blast you? Did the vaccine work? You know, so it just, I, I don't know. The whole thing just kind of, I felt very kind of rushed and just kind of like filler. I mean, it's issue seven and... I obviously Dixon wasn't that into this story. Maybe Alan Grant wasn't that into it either. Obviously, right. uh, Doug Monch was really into it by his op-ed <laughs> piece in 529. So, wow. Um, yeah, this was like, oh, yeah, I've, I've, I'm halfway through that Shadow of the Bad issue and I oh, I forgot I got to finish that. So, yeah, let me just let me just hammer this out quick and go to bed. And then, you know, so yeah. there might have been the- some of that going on. The only part of the dialogue that I really liked is probably probably one of the best written pieces in here is what Gordon says. So this might be this might not be time to say it, but I might never get the time. I hate the city, the crime, the corruption, the filth, the subways and the crowds, but I love it too. It's part of me, the way it's part of you. If Gotham dies, it, they might as well bury me with her. There's a, been a lot of regrets in my life, Batman, but you're the one thing I won't ever regret that I got to fight the same war with you. So part of it sounds a little on the cheesy side, but I think this is the first like real conversation since nightfall that they've had 
Yeah. And like the dialogue gets a lot better in the next issue. So let's wrap up 49 and we can see if uh, Detective uh, saves it. So what do you think overall of 49? I think we're probably both on the same boat. Like this is the middle part of the story. So sometimes the middle kind of lags a little bit. And um, that's that's kind of where I fall with it. Yeah, me too. It's kind of kind of feels a little bit filler, kind of middle range. Um, the only like beat is seeing that Tim is now infected as well. But again, he's he's not really fighting the disease, or Batman's not really fighting the disease. They're just fighting Poison Ivy, who's taking advantage of people with the disease. So again, to Chuck Dixon's part, how do you fight a virus? <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> right. Well, speaking of Chuck Dixon, let's get to the last book for today, Contagion Detective Comics 696, with the Graham Nolan cover here. So like you said, the Shadow Bat cover and this one go hand-in-hand really well with the coloring and our skeleton-cloaked figure, the you know Grim Reaper that's wearing red this time around. I think it looks really cool with him holding Batman and all the citizens of Gotham in his hand while Batman's trying to fight. I think the better of the three covers, and this is going to be better of the art of the three issues we're talking about. So what do you think of this issue right here, cover? I think this cover's amazing. That skull and the line work on it and the teeth and everything, and that's just amazing. And it has just a tiny little Batman fighting people in the skeleton hand and the flames around it. It's just... Uh, this close to perfection as you can get in a cover in my book. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Ten out, 10 out of 10. Yeah. Very cool. Well, the opening splash page of this, if this doesn't get you pumping a little bit, seeing Nightwing holding Robin and having just driven the Redbird into the bat cave, I think is a great way to open this book and it says Babylon falls and Nightwing is just screaming Alfred and running him over to the, to the bat cave and just seeing how large this bat cave is. This makes me want to see the bat cave and uh, something on this level in a, in a Batman movie, not just a, a bunker. So what'd you think of the opening uh, part of this uh, book where Nightwing is bringing in Robin to the Batcave and, uh, giving him over to Alfred to help him. Yeah, this is like classic Dixon. Start off with action, but it doesn't have to be fighting and kicking. It's pretty cool. I'm thinking like, Dick drove the Redbird. And then, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of Alfred's reaction. It kind of annoys me that Alfred's been killed and, you know, yeah. continuity right now. I'm like, oh, man, this just kind of blows. But I do like the idea of, you know, Dick's first reaction is we got to tell his dad. And Tim's like, no, don't. Well, I have a chance. Don't tell him. So it's really good because I think for to build the tension and to to grip the reader, it's not about is Tim Drake going to live or die. You know he's going to live. You know it's going to go on. You right. know, but will they tell his dad or not? That's could go either way. That's where there's real tension and real drama. So that's I thought pretty awesome. And then the next scene with Huntress is pretty awesome too. She looks she looks really good in here. Oh, yeah. Something that a little, I don't know if you picked up on this, Alfred's reference to Nightfall and the the hospital bed, like, we got to get Tim to a hospital and Alfred saying, you know, we've we've been here, we've been in this situation before, that it's kind of showing us the reader. Dick was gone for the early parts of Nightfall to not know that, hey, you know, we've we've had all of this 
surgery equipment. We've had the the medvac and all that type of stuff in the bat mm-hmm. cave because of what happened previously. So that kind of shows us that hey, there's there's still some newness to Dick being back in the Batman universe, having been with the Teen Titans for for quite a while. Huntress, Poison Ivy, and Everybody is just drawn so well by Graham Nolan. The colors look absolutely amazing. The way the Huntress is lit on the next page and all the oranges that are going through with all of this. And something that I think is funny here that Gordon has knocked out Poison Ivy and they go to escape up through Babylon Towers and Batman decides, well, the only way I can carry Poison Ivy is to put her in a plastic bag because I don't want to get her like oils on me to mm-hmm. potentially kill me. So yeah. she puts her in a breathable plastic bag, which is really kind of funny. And I was looking for a note from like Dixon, like, don't try this at home. This is something I created for, uh, yeah. for the story. <laughs> so what do you think of the, the plastic bag poison Ivy action figure? I'm waiting to see somebody cosplay that in, in you know, like <laughs> next convention. Yeah. I mean, Batman just has everything in that utility belt to his. He just, he's, he's ready for any contingency whatsoever. I sent you and Ryan a picture of this one year. You know, I show the kids in school, in my classroom, the Justice League um, Unlimited episode, this little piggy where Wonder Woman gets turned into mm-hmm. a pig by the, the Greek um, witch, Circe. And uh, they uh, go down into Hades, and Batman has some Greek coin, some drachma in his belt to put to give to the boatman <laughs> in Hades. And I think it's in the commentary where Bruce Tim or... Or Paul Dini says something like, yep, Batman even carries drachmas in his belt. You know, and I always I make that comment to the kids every time. I'm like, yep, see that? Even Batman's got, you know, Greek drachmas in his utility belt, just in case, you know. So <laughs> yeah. now we know he keeps these these bags in here. But definitely of the three issues, this has to me the best art. Like Poison Ivy looks like a like a comic book female supervillain, you know. Not not maybe a realistic real world person, but it looks things look proportional for comic book world and, and natural. Yeah, I mean this it feels like there's not a lot that happens in this story, but it moves really fast and it it flows really good. So and this leads into you know Catwoman, which we're not going to cover, but that was also written by Chuck Dixon. So I think there's some you know connection. But I definitely yeah. like the concern they're all showing for Tim. Yeah. Yeah, and I think Tim's trying to keep things light with Dick. He's making some jokes while laying there on the bed and ends up passing out or going to sleep at one point, which causes Nightwing to freak out. Uh, something I thought was an, an interesting beat, and I don't think it was done deliberately, as they're Batman and Gordon and Poison Ivy are making their way through the burning building trying to find a way out. They come into a guy that's clearly been infected and is wanting help for his wife or whatever. So he draws a gun. Gordon ends up falling back and shoots the guy right in the face, which yeah. I was like, holy crap. I mean, that's that's probably a, a clear shot, but that's always one of those, you know, like you see him in news or TV shows. I'm like, you couldn't have shot him in the leg, but I I guess in, in, in those dire moments. But uh, <laughs> you know, Batman says, you know, thanks for having my back. And I thought this was... The next couple pages are, I think, are some really cool dialogue that Dixon has for Batman. And Gordon finally gets a chance to ask him, like, are are you the real Batman that I've been working with for years? Or are you just another imposter? And Batman finally lets him know, like, yes, I am the real Batman. So it's been this whole time since Nightfall that 
Gordon still really doesn't know that this Batman is the Batman he's been working with. And he's not even in the uh, police department anymore because he's been, you know, let go by the uh, the previous mayor. So I liked this out of the two where Batman asks him, you know, do you trust me? And they're going to repel down from the building. So I thought this was a cool Batman, Gore, Commissioner Gordon moment where it kind of re-solidifies that friendship and then Nolan's splash page of Batman repelling down with the two of them. I think it just looks absolutely fantastic. And if I was going to pull a page out of this book and say, oh man, this this clearly should have been the front cover. I like the cover to this issue, but this one I think could have easily been a cover of uh, one of the Contagion issues. What'd you think of that that section with Gordon and Batman? Yeah, that's kind of good. They got overshooting a guy in the face really fast, like you know. <laughs> right. like, but uh, you know, um, if you back it up before that on page six, there's a, a thing where the mayor is. Um, shocked because the national guard is like shutting down the city or, mm-hmm. or blocking entrance in and i know like to someone reading this today that's like not a big deal because we've seen that in you know uh batman begins and the dark knight rises and right. no man's land and and all these other things that where that's happened but to me i think this is the first time where you really saw like this happen where like Gotham's connected to America. It's not just some like city in the middle of nowhere and the National Guard might come in and and isolate it and shut it down. So I think this is like the seed that sprouted a lot of different stories and story arcs and things that we just kind of take for granted now. It's like, oh yeah, of course the government would isolate Gotham and just seal that crazy place off. But um, I don't ever recall it happening until that moment right there. Yeah. We get a, a brief little moment with uh, Catwoman and I must have poison ivy. Catwoman and Oracle, which this goes back to the Azrael issue, where Azrael calls Oracle to find out, you know, where their next movement is. And Catwoman basically lifted the phone and was able to get some information from Oracle, but she quickly tells her, like, while we've been talking, this phone number has already been deleted. It's, it's going to be a dead number. This is a one and only, one and done type thing. So I thought that was a, a cool moment that they put Oracle into this. And I, I just like the way Dixon writes Barbara Gordon, whether she's Batgirl or Oracle herself in this. I've always missed him writing Barbara Gordon. I thought this was a cool exchange. Would you think about that little section before we jump a little bit? Yeah, I don't know if you and Ryan talked about it last time, but I love the Catwoman white costume. First time I ever yeah. saw it was on solicitations for Robin 27 because she's, she's got it on the cover. And so that's cool. And Oracle, every time I see it, she is sorely missed in today's DCU. That was a huge mistake to mm-hmm. retcon or procon or ducon or whatever they call that <laughs> to make Barbara Batgirl again and lose the character of Oracle um, for many, many reasons. So I love seeing it here and Dixon wrote her fantastic, but yeah, we need, we need that back. We need, uh, you know, I, this, I, this issue is making me like angry at all this stuff that's going on in the DC universe right now. <laughs> Didn't know out Al, dead Alfred, no Oracle, you know, Catwoman is, you know, Bruce's fiance, like, uh, you know, I just yeah. I can't take it. All right. Well, maybe one can only hope with the deal going that maybe some things will, change i I hope (laughs) yeah so we get a cool we don't see a lot of this in comics like batman has a batmobile but i know it's hard to to draw 
the Batmobile and show movement, but it's usually the Batmobile is just there in background. You don't get a whole lot of chase things, chase scenes. But I thought this was a cool moment of Batman and Nightwing racing back to the manor because they, like you said, the National Guard is closing off roadways and they're plowing through stuff, which has a little BBS vibe that they're just mowing, mowing people down. But the uh, nitrous that they use, I thought it was a really cool panel that uh, Nolan drew down there right where the tank is, where the guy on top of the tank was like, whoa, you kind of seeing how fast the Batmobile takes off. But it ends with the mayor of Gotham City, also is now infected by the disease. So he's probably going to be gone. We don't know quite how that's going to work out just yet. But then I also have to think that the backup or the new police commissioner is probably infected if the mayor is infected. But the closing panel that uh, uh, of Tim and Alfred, I think, is 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 a really cool panel again, which makes me miss Alfred in the current comics that he's trying to be consoling to Tim, telling him, you know, that the Batman's going to be on his way. Things are going to be all right. And then with Alfred with his head in his hands and just kind of even Alfred's defeated. Alfred can stitch up and fix all the ailments that Bruce has had over the years and can fix all the Robins. But this is something that's even out of Alfred's uh, realm of help. So I thought this was a, a nice cliffhanger to end the issue on where you were, if you were reading this monthly, it would go, I've, I've got to read this next image. Is Tim going to live? Is he going to die? You know, is Batman going to make it back to the cave in time? So I thought this was a nice way to end the issue and definitely left you wanting more. If you were kind of on the fence after the last two issues, I think this one really kind of brings it up. Uh, what are your thoughts on the end of this issue and anything else that uh, popped in your head as we were going through it? Yeah, that overhead shot, like looking down like a bird at Tim in the hospital bed and, and Alfred just beside himself is amazing. What strikes me too is some of these like mid nineties technology that pops up. Like there's a a dot matrix printer with all those little dots on the side of the paper. Remember <laughs> buying yeah. reams of that and going through. And then uh, Catwoman uses a payphone to call Oracle. I can't even mm-hmm. remember the last time I saw a payphone. <laughs> and I even saw a thing. I think just recently New York City is removing the last of the payphones from Manhattan or so. Like the the last ones will be gone. So it's just kind of funny to see these things that you just never would have thought twice of. Um, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna use it. The fluidity between these three issues is really good, mm-hmm. even though the art is very, very different among the three. The story didn't flow where you felt like you were just reading one continuous story. And considering it, each one is by a different writer, I thought that's that's pretty remarkable. So. The artwork is is very different, but the story definitely goes. And um, I'm trying to think. The cover for the next issue, number nine, which I get, we'll get to, like that was used a lot in the publicity and the yeah. ads and stuff. But I'm trying to think, like, what is my favorite cover of the whole Contagion run? And these are some really underrated covers because Asriel, number 16, with like the Robin and the skeleton is really cool. Yeah. And, uh, the Robin 27 where he's fighting Catwoman and Azrael 15 and even Catwoman 31. They're all just really awesome covers. So like A plus on the covers for this series. Yeah. And I just saw something on eBay. I was going through that you could get a collected, not collected like trade paperback or something where 
they put all the single issues together and put it in a, like a, a poly bag. And this Catwoman uh, 32 Part 9 is the main slip wraparound cover for all those issues. Like there was a paper cover inside a plastic bag and this Catwoman uh, cover, the, the Catwoman label was taken off, but it just said contagion. So like you said, I, I saw this in print ads. I saw it in the back of other magazines like Wizard. Like this was one of the main issues that they used over and over and over again. So that that was always one of my favorite one. Uh, like you said, the Azrio I thought was a really cool cover, and I didn't notice it so much. Like I said, there were a few issues I missed collecting this back in the day, but I didn't notice the art being so jarring until going through this new trade that they put out a couple years ago where there's a lot of highs and a lot of lows. But I think so far through the story, even though the Shadow of the Bat story was a little thin and borderline, that cheesy, it just it seemed phoned in, but at least the overall plot of the story didn't feel like you, you could still follow what's going on. Like you said, there was fluidity involved with that where it wasn't like, all right, we got three people writing and what is this story tying with this one? At least the, the through line was still there. So um, I did enjoy that. So at this point, folks, this is the halfway point of contagion. So I'm looking at my trade paperback here and there are as equal many pages ahead of it as there are behind of it. So I'm hoping in the next podcast that covers contagion that we will be able to wrap this up in one more episode. I figured it was going to be a three, maybe four episode part of contagions to uh, get this story out, which makes me think once we get into legacy and some of those other bigger crossovers that if, if we can't necessarily stick to the Tim Drake book, that we can at least break them up in, in smaller chunks and kind of find follow where Tim is. This would have been a really <laughs> interesting way to do the podcast. Like all right, we're going to follow Tim up until the moment where he passes out. And then the next episode is okay. Well, Tim's awake. He's cured. So yeah. I, th- I thought it was good to just go through um, all this. Uh, the question I asked Ryan on the last episode, I'll, I'll ask you is, has this been one of the, first times you've read through this much of contagion in a while, but I think you said you were reading it back in the day when it was coming out. Have you read contagion much before this podcast or did you just read it back in 96 and that was it? I read it in 96 and haven't read it until this podcast. So (laughs) however many years that is (laughs) in between. And honestly, it was kind of forgettable compared to some of the other big events um, and this was a part of um, this was a part of my comic book reading around like when this came out ninety seven or ninety six where yeah. I was getting older I had more going on job finishing yeah. up college and I couldn't like read comics like I used to and the way I used to read them when I was in high school was I would get the Batman comic and I'd read it and then I'd read it again and then a couple weeks later I'd read it again I mean I'd read those issues over and over and over again and this is getting to the era of where okay I'd read it put it in a bag put it in a long box and then kind of forget about it just because life you know right so, yeah so even though I did read this I didn't read it like I read Nightfall I mean I must have read Nightfall 
don't even know how many times again and again. I remember having Same comics and, and thinking like, well, I haven't read that one in a couple weeks. I need to re- read that again. I need to read it again, you know. And when your collection's only, you know, in the, you know, 100 books or 200 books is a lot easier than <laughs> when you get old and you've got long box after long box, you know. So, yeah, uh, I, I'm surprised at how good I think it is com- considering – it didn't really leave that much of an impact in me from 25 years ago or whatever it was. Yeah, I think something that Ryan said on the last episode is hearing Chuck's comment of like, he didn't seem that up on it, that we seem to find, we found more enjoyment in the story. I don't know if just hindsight being better that this was one of those that... I'm on it. I don't know what that was. <laughs> that was my phone <laughs> yeah. that woke up. <laughs> Like well, I'm your phone's on, on it, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, this was one of those that it's, like you said, it's a forgettable story. But as I was going through prepping this, I was like, I'm actually really kind of enjoying it. So I think this is where we're going to put a pin in this episode. Oh, wait, one oh, more pin, one more pin. You know what I think is, too, is like it gets lost between Nightfall and No Man's Land as the big events. Yeah. You know, and this and Legacy kind of get lost. But nothing from this really changed Gotham really that much. Like like Nightfall, they changed Batman. Then we get the character Asriel. Then like some of these other events you can point to, oh, this is when this character was introduced or this is when this character died or this one changed or, you know, this is just kind of an adventure. But I don't really think, you know, there's no new characters. No one died. Nothing, you know, so I think that might – might be why it kind of suffers as um, people don't point to it as like, oh yeah, remember Contagion when you know Cassandra Kane was the became the new Batgirl or something like that. So you know, it's just kind of yeah, just kind of an adventure. And I yeah, even remember when this got solicited that it was coming out in a trade. I remember thinking Contagion. Why is Contagion like they did Contagion? Then they did Cataclysm. They did Aftershock. Like those let it led into No Man's Land, but. You could just read No Man's Land as it is, and the opening of No Man's Land tells you, like, oh, well, there was this disease, and then there was an earthquake, and then this happened, and you're all caught up. So I think this is one of the first bat crossovers, like we said, that there's no real stakes other than, oh, we got to stop this thing. So maybe we spoiled the ending yeah. of it for, for you guys, but we're going to leave. For legacy. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So when we come back on the next episode, we will have another 80th anniversary episode for Robin, and one of our guests will come on and pick something that they found a connection with the Robin character. It could be Tim, could be Jason, could be Dick. So we'll find out on the next episode. But for Terrence, this is Robin. You've been listening to the BatmanUniverse.net, and more importantly, you've been listening to Robin. Everyone loves Drake. We'll see you in the next episode. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake podcast. This has been brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net. Tim Drake, Robin, and all Batman-related characters are under copyright of DC Comics. 
This podcast is solely for entertainment purposes, so no infringement is intended by this show. This show is not a good revenue stream. Actually, there's not a stream at all. All music and sound clips are under copyright by their respected copyright holders. So there should be no need to send the Penguins lawyers after us for ill-gotten gains because there are none. You can get a hold of the show a few different ways. We are on Twitter at ELTD Podcast. You can also email in at RobinELTDPodcast at Yahoo.com. Our Facebook page can be found at www.facebook.com slash everyone loves Drake. And as always, you can message directly over at the BatmanUniverse.net. So email, tweet, or message us. We'd love to hear from you. And we'll read your comments or responses on the show. The show you're listening to can be found a few different ways through iTunes and Windows Media. Also over at our host, TBU. Leave us a review on iTunes if you listen there. It'll help spread the word of the show. Make sure you head over to the BatmanUniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin. Thanks for listening to the show and hearing why everyone loves the Drake. We'll see you in a few weeks. Take care.